Thank you. So kind. But also true, I do care. I don't know why, but I have this maybe over-anxious mother heart that just thinks, oh, I'll have you too. <laughs> but it has been a real honor for Helen Aza. Do come, Helen. How many know two are much better than one? You have much more fun. <laughs> um, and um, we did bring some books. I remember this time I was just... I've sort of got out of the habit of traveling and ministering. And I turned up and they said, we got ready to get Gordon's book. We've got the bookstore. And I said, I totally forgot. They said, oh, but this is Gordon's story. If you want an adventure story of faith, this is my precious husband, 40 years. And um, he met God at Cambridge where God just literally like a Paul encounter and said, come on. You've written a wonderful thesis, God doesn't exist, but hello, here I am. And ruined Gordon's life, along with a man called Nicky Gumble. you maybe you know, Nicky Lee, there were seven of them all got born again at David McInnes' mission in Cambridge, and um, hence the story. We then went to Africa, served with Reinhardt, worked together, and really it's the stories of faith, where God puts you in new seasons, and how you keep on that cutting edge. And then my book, I Love Prayer, because I do believe that God is getting us reconnected to talk to him. Amen. Helen's going to give them away because she's much better at that than I am. So what am I going to speak to today? Whether you're watching online or you're in the house, I want to say, I want to speak today about the relentless pursuit, the relentless pursuit. We've been talking about times of refreshing. And how many of you know there are certain things that we can pursue or are pursued by that can deplete us, and there are certain things that complete us. And I want to talk about three types of pursuit. Did you take the iPad? Oh, it's on the floor. Sorry, I've got out of habit of time, so I'm going to just got my countdown clock. So, three different pursuits. I want to talk first about, and the Bible, and I think we feel it, talk about the pursuit of an enemy. You know, maybe you feel COVID's pursuing us. You know, we're in the mass congregation today. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to preach with that. I was just thinking about that and thought, oh, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> I had to knit to the loo because I had lipstick on and I put my mask on and I now look like a funny clown. So I went to remove the lipstick that had spread so that I'd look better for you online. But you see, many of us are so aware of this season where we've felt pursued. Pursued by bad news. Pursued by financial challenges. Pursued by relational disconnects. Pursued by many different fears, atmospheres, insecurities. And we just feel there's this stuff snapping at us all the time. And it's like become this atmosphere that's around us. When we pick up our Bible, we find that people in the Bible talk about it too. Remember dear Job. He says in Job chapter 30, At night my bones are filled with pain. It gnaws at me relentlessly. Maybe some of you have been in a season of ill health and just doctors and stuff, and it just feels like that thing barking at the back of you. Then the psalmist David, you know, he talks in Psalm 31, my future God is in your hands, but rescue me from those who hunt me down. 
You know, maybe you feel you're being stalked by addictions, minds, stuff in your head, or literal people. You know, David went on in Psalm 31, 15, you know, my life, every moment, my destiny, I know belongs to you, but deliver me from those who pursue me with their mockery relentlessly. Psalm 89, 51, you relentlessly insult me, persecute me, mock me, and I am God's anointed. Have you ever felt, you know, you stand up, I'm a Christian, they go, really? Ha, huh, that's the biggest joke. And maybe even within your family, you feel that family sound all the time. It's like this unspoken pursuit. Even the prophets, dear Isaiah, stands up in Isaiah 16. Oh, help me. Defend me against my enemies. Protect me from their relentless attack and hostility. Do not let me be betrayed. Help me escape. And so all through the Bible, we find even God anointed, appointed people have this sense, what is that getting after me? And we can get sort of persecution complex. And maybe you're there and that's why you need refreshing because your mind's just got full of stuff that seems to be chasing you down. And then we get to the end of the story, Revelation chapter 12. And heaven is just making assessments of what's going on. In Revelation 12, 10, it says, Then I heard a triumphant voice, like a trumpet. It's like, this is enough. Stop. Now, the salvation and power of our God is lifted up. He sits and reigns forever. And then it goes on in verse 11. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters who relentlessly pursues them with accusation. I love that translation. Relentlessly pursues. Maybe you do feel relentlessly pursued by your mistakes, by your regrets. But heaven says, it's enough now. It is enough. You have been relentlessly pursued day and night, but they have been defeated. And you see, I believe we've lived in a relentless season of negativity. Media, press, sound bites, everyone saying it's going down. And it creates fear and insecurity. And it can then change our whole perspective and worldview of life church and we get exhausted weary and we need times of refreshing and sometimes we're not even aware that we're being pursued by all this stuff but I believe that you're in the house of Jesus today because he wants to show you that yes there might be atmospheres and stuff that is trying to chase you down and distract you but there are many relentless pursuits and his is the greatest. You see, fear and caution has maybe adapted your thinking and perspective. And you see, we need to hear the whisper of God. And as I was preparing this, I felt God say, Rachel, all chains are breakable. There is no chain that cannot be broken. And maybe you feel tethered in places and you just feel, well, it's the new me. It's the post-COVID. I want to say in Jesus' name, whether you're listening online or in the house, no chain is unbreakable. Listen to what Jesus would say to you to refresh you. 
He said, there is no chain that cannot be broken. There is no life that cannot be liberated. There is no impossibility that cannot be surmounted. There is no history that cannot be redeemed. There is no relationship that cannot be restored. There is no nation that cannot be healed. There is no government that cannot find executive peace because Jesus has won it all. Jesus has won it all. And of course, there are alignments and choices that we have to make to break the pursuit. But there's nothing impossible to God. So don't let the enemy pursue you. Don't let him get in your thinking and recraft your faith statements, belief values, virtues. Don't let him become so big that he actually is the overwhelming sort of figure of your life. I want you to look at the second relentless pursuit. This is God's love for you. You have a God who relentlessly pursues you. You have a God who relentlessly pursues you. And whatever the enemy's plan, he outdoes him, outplays him every time in Jesus' name. And you might feel the devil's been playing a chess game with you, making you move, check, check. And you feel like you're hopping from square to square with this devil chasing you. But Jesus moves the king, moves the queen, his church into position and king of kings is absolutely secure and it's just checkmate. I've got you. I've got this. I want to speak to you. God has got you and God has got this season. The enemy wants to chase you down but God will outrun him every time. Deuteronomy 32 says this, verse 9 to 11. For you, his people, are his portion. Jacob, you are his inheritance. And he's not going to let you drop through his fingers quickly. Even in the desert, he finds you. In the barren and howling wasteland, he shields you, cares for you, guards you as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle, he stirs up the nest, hovers over his young, spreads his wing to catch them and carries you aloft. God has got you. Look at the process there. First he comes, finds you in the howling net pace. Then he shields you, cares for you, guards you, stirs up all your passions and all your expectations. Then he um, releases you supports you and sets you off on a new path. That is your God. Matthew 10 verse 29 to 32 says, you know, aren't sparrows just sold for a penny? Yet none of them fall to the ground outside your father's care. You, the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth so much more than sparrows. What is God saying? 
I am watching you with such eager eyes at so many levels. I know everything about you and you're valuable. You're valuable. And so often that shadow of pursuit says, who are you? What are you? You're nothing. But the pursuit of God says, I'm pursuing you because I see value in you. You are valuable. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. Now keep your lives free from the love of money. Live with us contentment with what you have. And then he says, because God says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He says, I will. We need coffee. I will. I will. I will. Never is a big word. Never means never. And God says, why are you getting yourself all upset about whether I've got enough wage or this, that? Look to me. Don't get worried about money. Be content because I will never, never, never forsake you. Jeremiah 31, 1. And the Lord appeared to me saying, can't help myself, I love you. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. And I draw you with my loving kindness. He said, my love is going to put a hook in you until you so love this atmosphere, you get drawn by the loving kindness of God. And the pursuit actually then becomes two-way. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. You say, wow, loads of scripture, Rachel. Well, because the Bible just says, seriously, can't you get it? I love you. I'm after you. I'm for you. I chase you. And then 1 Corinthians 13 is all about the description of this love. And the final da-da-da-da is love never, what? Never, 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 never. It's a big word. And then we come to maybe a psalm we know too well, Psalm 23. And if you study Hebrew and you look, Hebrew poetry is quite amazing. And Psalm 23 is written as a poem. And actually, the language used is like layer on layer of trying to underscore. If you're musical and we're coming to Christmas, think of the Messiah. You know, you have all the ones, my Redeemer lives. And everyone's waiting for the hallelujah, the hallelujah chorus, which is the finale of all the trumpets and sounds and everyone hallelujah. Well, Psalm 23, verse 6, is the hallelujah chorus of Psalm 23 in the Hebrew poetry. It's like the psalmists and the musicians are writing every layer and saying, don't you get it? He's your shepherd. You'll never lack. He's going to lead you. He's going to restore you. He's going to refresh you. He's going to open new ways of righteousness for you. He's going to sit you in the midst of your enemies. And right there, you're not going to be traumatized and shaking. You're you're just going to have cups of oil and refreshing coming upon you to reset you. Don't you understand? He's a good, good shepherd. And then we get to verse 6 and we read it like this. And I'm reading from the Passion. It says, why should I fear my future? 
Only goodness and mercy will pursue me relentlessly all the days of my life. Then afterward, when my life is through, I will sit in your glorious presence and I will be there forever. Say forever, forever, forever. So Sean and Helen, I want you to come because you see, you need to understand something this morning. You can stand maybe over there. You don't have to be muzzled because you have to be puppy dogs. And these puppy dogs don't like masks. And so today, I am calling you mercy and goodness. You were talking about goodness earlier. Mercy and goodness. And you see, I told you that this psalm is like an amplification of the Hallelujah Chorus. And I was praying with this guy called Stephen. As I was praying for him, he was so overwhelmed, so pursued, made so many mistakes. And I said, oh, but you know, there's a relentless pursuit. There's a relentless pursuit of you. And Steve, as you walk out, mercy and goodness are chasing you down, just like two puppy dogs. Literally, you've got two dogs and they will let you go. Come on, goodness, where are you? <laughs> Mercy is much better in my life. <laughs> Come on, pursue me. Don't let me go. That is the mercy and goodness of God. Did you know that's what it means? It will relentlessly pursue you. Never, come on that word, never. What? Never let you go. And wherever you go, it pursues you. And so as I was praying for this guy, Steve, I said, you know, mercy and goodness are going to pursue you all the days of your life. I said, they're like two puppy dogs that come out. He said, I'm going to get them. So he's got two puppies called mercy and goodness. And he says, everywhere I go, mercy and goodness are pursuing me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you can play it up for the next service now. <laughs> But some of us need a new picture because we have allowed the image of the pursuit with the wrong thing. Come on, close your eyes for a moment. Can you see those puppy dogs <laughs> of the goodness and mercy of God pursuing you? <laughs> and every time you go, hey, where are you, goodness? Where are you, mercy? All the days of your life. Never takes a day off. He is with you. Isn't that beautiful? So why don't we just pray this together. Say, Father, today, I believe you relentlessly pursue me. You will never, never, never leave me alone. Let me go. And right now, every cloud of negativity that has been pursuing me, overwhelming me, distracting me, I say no. In Jesus' name. And I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Amen. So, woof, woof, we'll have a whole new meaning. <laughs> Every time you see your puppy dog, just think, there's my goodness, there's my mercy.
pursue me, God. And you see, when that begins to happen in our life, and we get a real understanding of the incredible love of God for us that will never, ever let us go, it evokes something in us. Isn't that true? You see, we begin this discourse, which is, yes, I know you are mine, but I want to be yours. I want to upgrade my pursuit of you. I don't want to downgrade. I want to upgrade in this season. And God, whatever it has felt like, I want more. I want more of that presence of God. God, I want to know that there is an atmosphere of goodness and mercy around me. And I want to pursue you, God. I never, what's that word? I never want to let you go. And maybe in this season, it has been strange. And there are seasons of our life, of our soul, of our journey. We have day and night. Now, when we're in the dark, cold night, have we done something wrong? No, it's just part of the season. We do live in day and night. But would you agree? It's a different experience. We have spring, summer, autumn, winter. We've just gone into winter time. I like my one hour today. I won't like my dark days for the rest of the time. <laughs> now, because we're going into winter and all the leaves and everything's getting cold and wet, have we done anything wrong? No. It's part of the cycle of life. We have dry. We have wet. We have hot. We have cold. Seasons of life, would you agree? And they're part of what we live with. But there is a relentless cycle, synergy, in the rhythm of life and of God. Would you agree? Day and night, night and day. Sense arise. There's nothing wrong about releasing it in the day or in the night. Do you get what I'm saying? But the enemy often pursues us and says, oh, you're in a dark place. Yeah, it's night time. Get over it. It will soon be day. Do you understand? Don't let the enemy put you down. And I feel so many in the church are like, ooh, it all feels different. I'm not sure if I like it. It's just called a different season. But it's not going to last. We have springtime, summertime, autumn, wintertime. I don't think we've done anything wrong. We're just working through the rhythms of life. And we have to live it slightly differently. We have high tide. Come on, you're by the beaches. And we have... Low tide. Did you do something wrong because all the water went out? No. Oh, but we knew the presence of God and the refreshing of God. And every time we worshipped, I just felt like this. That was high tide time. Psalm 42. Oh God, I'm in your presence and all your breakers are over me. I feel the mist, the glory. High tide, full, swimming. But there's low tide. There's times, Ezekiel 47, God appears to the prophet and said, hey, you're ankle deep. He doesn't say, bad boy, what you've done with the water, you're only into ankle deep. He doesn't say that. He said, now let me take you on a journey. He doesn't actually pick up the prophet and say, get back in the deep water and haul him. He said, come on, let's go on a journey. Measure you a thousand feet. Up to your knees. Come on, tide's coming 
in. Come on, let's measure you another thousand up to your thigh. Tide's coming in. Walk this season. It doesn't say how long. In our minds, it's like, goop, this one. thing doesn't say that. And then he finally said, now the next jump. Oh, high tide. Now you're swimming. Do you understand what I'm saying? I would like to suggest to you that we're living in a season of low tide when the water has gone out so it feels different. How many know a beach feels very different? Low tide, high tide. And so the water levels are different. The mist is different. The landscape looks different. You walk on the beach and go, oh, never noticed that cove before. Didn't know. I wonder if we can explore in there. Low tide brings new opportunities. You see different little paths, different shortcuts. You know, you're on the beach and you think, oh, we could probably cut across the beach to that cafe five minutes instead of getting in a car around the headline half an hour. You know what I'm talking about. And you see, just because it feels different doesn't mean it's wrong. But don't miss the opportunities of the low tide. There's different pathways, different things, and it does feel different, but it's not wrong. And many of us have heard the word of the tsunami of God's love. It's going to roll in, overwhelm, make us cry. And, but before a tsunami, the tide has to go out. <laughs> goes out a very long way, actually. You think it's disappeared altogether, and then it begins rolling in. I'd like to suggest we're in one of those seasons and cycles of life. And just because it might feel different doesn't mean God's gone. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. And I believe there's the pursuit of the enemy saying, ah, oh, you know, people haven't come back, you're wrong. This isn't happening in the same way, you're wrong. Your business isn't doing as good, you're wrong. Can I just say, God never fails. He is forever with you. And we can just ask him, God, adjust my season and my perspective. Don't let me just react and withdraw. Keep walking that beach and watch. Day and night, night and day. Spring, summer, winter, autumn, high tide, low tide. You... Read the Bible with a high tide, low tide mentality. You'll find there's a lot about water that goes out and comes in. Refreshing that returns. Seek the Lord now, my he may be found. Let the waters return. Times of refreshing will come again. Tides can come back. Amen. So just say, Father, today, I ask you, let your refreshing return on me. I believe your relentless love has never, never left me, nor Rediscover Church, nor the UK. You are with us. Do you believe that? And so, maybe God is playing a little bit of hide and seek with you. Because the Bible does say it's draw near. Step close, seek the Lord while he may be found. And sometimes he withdraws to just see, did you notice? And you think, where have you gone? Goodness, mercy, what's happened? It feels different. And I've come here unashamedly this morning to want to break the enemy's power of pursuit off you so you think right. Reopen your love channels to Jesus so you know you're precious and loved and you're not a bad, wrong person because you don't feel quite the same and life doesn't feel the same. It's a different season. But fine, my final pursuit is 
How ready are you to run and chase God down? God's looking for a generation. Will you get on your front foot and say, God, where are you? Don't play hide and seek. I'm coming. And sometimes it almost is like God hides his face a little bit and counts to 10. And you say, God, that's not funny. Where are you? I need you. I need you. You know, Philippians chapter 3 says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired, verse 12, this is, I admit that I haven't yet acquired to the absolute fullness of all I'm pursuing, but I will run with passion into all his purpose for me so that I will reach the abundance for which Christ laid hold of me for his purpose. This is the passion translation. There's quite a bit of passion in it too. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this, but I do have a compelling focus. I forget all the past and I fasten my heart to the future calling me instead. I'm going to run a straight race because of the divine invitation I have from heaven calling me to gain my heavenly prize because of the anointing of Jesus. So let all of us who are fully mature awaken this same passion. And if anyone is not gripped by this desire, let God reveal it to you. Come on, let us advance together and reach this prize following our path with one passion for him. Are you ready to run? Come on. Don't let the devil put you to sleep. Don't sit this one out and say, well, when it feels better, I'll come back. And that's you online too. I'm being mama today. You know, pajama parties are great for a while, but there comes a time you need to be back in the house, fully clothed, ready to run. We're ready to go, to do what Jesus is calling us. There needs to be an awakening of that passion. God's saying, will you come? Yeah, God, I want to come. There's a call to holiness. You know, Peter, the apostle in 1 Peter 13 says, come on, prepare your hearts. Get your minds alert and ready for action. Come on, be holy as he is holy and pursue him. Are you ready to shake off that which contradicts and compromises the Jesus connection? A call to holiness. Proverbs 2 talks about a call to wisdom. Smarten up. You know, so much of um, the dialogue at the moment is that because of COVID, we've all become dumber. I don't believe the Bible tells us that we become dumber because of COVID. I believe you're smart in the kingdom of God. And if you need to, an upgrade, then it says call for wisdom. We're told that our kids are all going to be dumb. That Their attention span is now depleted down to seven minutes. I looked at my kids and I said, you're not average, you're outstanding. Maybe every other kid is seven minutes, but you're more than that because you're running after Jesus and you're smart, outstanding, supernaturally intelligent. You're the Daniel generation that's going to just cause people to go, wow, how did you get that? Smarten up, let's run with wisdom in these days. My child, some Proverbs 2 says, do you treasure wisdom? Will you accept its advice? 
Will you train your heart to pursue it? Will you cry out for comprehension? Will you expand your discernment in your pursuit of God? We need to have pursuit of peace. And peace isn't just like, oh, it feels all cozy. Peace is executive. Peace puts its foot down and says, stop. When you can feel all the wrestle and tussle in an atmosphere, it puts its foot down and says, "Uh uh-uh, it's enough now. He is the prince of peace. There's rulership, reigning authority connected to peace that just steps in. And it's like, whoa. It's like when you step in the office and maybe they're all squabbling and fighting and swearing and you walk in and they somehow don't. And they don't even know why they don't. It's because you're an executor of peace. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, run as fast as you can from all your ambitious, youthful lusts, but chase, pursue, chase down all that is pure. Whatever builds up your faith, deepens your love, puts you in holy pursuit, live a life of peace with everyone, and then outstandingly worship God. I like that life, do you? 2 Timothy 2.22, lots of twos in there. And finally, when we pursue God, we want a pursuit of fruitfulness. I don't want to just live a life for living a life. I want to do something, find something. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, come on, all these virtues have been planted deeply within you. You can possess them in abundant supply and they will keep you from being inactive, ineffective, fruitless. But you will pursue the knowing of Jesus Christ more intimately. I want to ask you, are you ready to run after God and upgrade your fruitfulness, upgrade your peace levels, upgrade your wisdom, smartness, upgrade that holiness distinctive so people look at you and say, you're different but okay. You see, God's word never fails. And God is in relentless pursuit of his word. And when he speaks it, it will be. Let there be. And there there was. God's spoken over your life. There's a purpose on your life. Last night, Helen and I, when we got back to the hotel, we ended up chatting to the young guy at the bar. Really smart, doing a master's here was at Durham, now doing a master's here, studying Persian and Arabic. So I was shocked when Helen just then chatted to him in Arabic. He's like, whoa. And we, <laughs> and we began talking to him about the word. And, he, and his name was Dan, Daniel. I said, do you know who Daniel was in the Bible? I said, he was outstandingly smart. They called him supernaturally intelligent because they couldn't understand the way his mind works. He said, My endless guy was trying not to cry. And he was telling us, you know, he's an atheist, not religious and that. And, but interesting, both his granny and his mum are religious. And I said, come on, mum and granny, I'm helping you. <laughs> but I looked at this guy and as we began to talk about What molds you inside? What shapes your virtues, values? Why do you have a conscience if there's no spirituality of God? So what's the standard? Who sets it? We have, you know, it was a real philosophical 
geeky sort of conversation, but I loved him. And he looked at me and he said, no, I see what you mean. I said, well, every person needs significance, security and purpose. We're wired with it. And I said, and God planted it in you. And you could just see. You see, God planted it in you. There is a trigger in you and his word is relentless. He watches over his word to perform it. Not just out there. It's not this thing out there, nebulous thing. It's you. He wrote his word in you. You're handcrafted. The word of God sculptured you. Let there be light. And there was. Let there be trees. And it was sculptured. The trees were sculptured by the word. Let there be Sean. And it was sculptured. Let there be Mark. And it was sculptured. Let there be a Helen. And it was sculptured. God chisels out with his word the Helen that he sees and so you see it's only when we're in that pursuit that we're satisfied and we can try and shake it all off but there is a relentless pursuit of the enemy to downgrade you but a relentless pursuit of God to surround you but then you need to make the choice of the relentless pursuit of destiny to fulfill the chiseled word of God Isaiah 55, 8, God says, the way I think or my thoughts are not your thoughts. Or you could literally um, translate it, my thinking processes and deductions, my whole way of logics and rationality is not the way you do logics and rationality. My thinking processes are not your thinking processes. And neither are my ways, which is the way I craft and do my moral structure, your ways, instinctively. But as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts than yours. As rain and snow come down to the earth and don't return from it without watering it, making bud and flourishing seasons, then bringing harvest. In other words, there are cycles of life that bring a full harvest. So is my word. His word is cyclical, works in cycles, comes in seed, then goes through a process until it yields a harvest. So is my word that goes out of my mouth concerning you, concerning your nation, concerning your city. This word will never, what's that word? Return to me empty, but will always, say always, accomplish what I desire and the purpose for which I sent him. God's crafted you. Will you pursue him? It'll be the greatest adventure of your life. And you'll never be bored. But don't live in the shadow of the enemy. I want to pray with you. Are you ready to pray? I want to pray with you online and you in the room. And first of all, the biggest decision really of our life, it's a bit like getting married. But this one lasts for eternity forever. It's will you pursue Jesus? It's not will you just have an intellectual acknowledgement that there is a God and you sort of collide a little bit like snooker balls on a table every now and then. That isn't really doing life with Jesus. 
He doesn't want a collision life where you bump into each other on Sundays and you sort of bounce off the rest of the week. He's asking for a holy pursuit. Like those little puppy dogs, you are relentless and won't let him go. And there are times sometimes when we know we are living right and other times if we're honest, we've got a bit lazy and we've let God get out of our vision and we're just wandering through life. But today, October the 31st, which our culture calls Halloween, but actually the church calendar calls Reformation Sunday. This is a Sunday to be totally reformed. <laughs> Come on, let's, some reforming. Refounding on good foundations for your life. And if you know you need to move your feet back on, both feet and say, actually gone, I need to pursue you. Whether you're online with me or in the house, I want you just to put your hand right up where you are. That's right. And just say, God, I want to relentlessly pursue you. And every place I've backed off, got overwhelmed, I've listened to the lie of the enemy that's just said, I'm not doing well. If that's, and you just saying, God, here I am, I'm sorry, I am relentlessly pursuing you. Right at home in the house, just put your hand up and say, here I am, God, pick me. Never let me go. I'm sorry, God, where I have just been distracted. And this, I want you just to close your eyes and see that love of a God that says never and always. I will never leave you. I always hold you. Can you hear the never and always? Never, never, never. Always, always, always. Now pray this out loud with me. Father, today, I ask you, take hold of my hand and never let me go. I am sorry where I have been distracted for the wrong choices I've made. But today, I choose you. And I thank you for your love that never lets me go. And your word that always holds me, shapes me and helps me fulfill my purpose. And everyone said, Amen. I wonder if you could just stand with me. And I want to just pray for two other aspects. Those of you in the room, you can also. But I started with that relentless pursuit of some shadows and just stinking thinking, stuff that's just become your wrong shadow and pursuit. And it's like, so I felt as I prayed for you this morning, it's almost some of you have been living with this almost threat. I'm going to have you. I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to do this to you. And there's been a pursuit of negativity that you just can't quite shake of your head and you haven't even quite understood how it got there. You're going to die. COVID's going to get you. Or, you know, just the other mess. I don't know what that language is for you, but there's been a relentless pursuit of the enemy and today you're just saying, not having it, it's enough now. And if that's you, I want you to put your hand in the heaven and just say, this is the stop sign. When you put your hand up, it's to be a stop sign in the spirit. Just to say, 
to all the heavens above and the earth beneath. No, I've woken up and this is enough now. You stop in Jesus' name. Can you do that? One, two, three. Just put your hands up. And you be specific about what that stop is. And now I want you just to pray it out loud. Say, Father, I just thank you. Just talk to God about it. Say, Father, I'm lifting up my hand with a stop. And I'm just saying no more. Father, I thank you. It's getting off my head. That relentless pursuit of the enemy, you get off now. I will not allow you to control my thinking, control my actions. Get off in Jesus' name. I just want you to push in the spirit a bit as if just to say, no, you back off. You get off my life. You get out my thinking space. I push you off. I speak even to the night times and I say you get out of the night times. You get out the dream times. You get out of sleeping time and we say no more in Jesus' name. Can you just say that with me? One, two, three. No more in Jesus' name. One more time. No more in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The last picture I want you to pray for is I really do think some of you need to take away the picture of my puppy dogs. (laughs) And I want you just to close your eyes and I want you to see the picture of the love and graciousness of God, His goodness and mercy literally chasing you down. Okay, can you do that? Say, Father, I believe that your goodness pursues me. Come on, just take that picture. You never let me go. Father, I believe that you're with me today, that every chain is broken. And I thank you for those puppy dogs of goodness and your faithfulness. They're going to chase me down. And everyone said, Amen. And if it's appropriate, I know this is a mass service, so you're a bit more sensitive. But if it is appropriate and you're happy, maybe you could just touch the person on their shoulder next to you and just pray for the relentless pursuit of God. If you're married to them or part of the household and bubble, that should be okay. If you're not, then just ask the person next to you if they're happy for that. And then you just pray for each other. Say, we are just praying for the relentless pursuit of God. We close every gap. We thank you, Father, that you are with us. And everyone said, in Jesus' name.